Welcome to the Gatecast. Presented by Alan and Mike. Lucy, I'm home. I am not Lucy. Oh, you're right. We'll just upload a computer virus into the mothership. I was going to do my living room like this. My recommendation is that anyone attempting to leave them out should be shot on sight. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Gatecast episode 149, a whole 17 minutes after we finished recording episode 148. But this time we're joined by the uh, research powerhouse that is Mike. Good evening, everybody. Yeah, it's good to be back. I've had an episode off Alan to his own devices. Yes, he hasn't heard it yet, folks. <laughs> he's not aware that I may have accidentally upgraded the theme on the Gatecast site and thus uh, undone all the nice cosmetic changes he did. We'll see. Don't know for a fact. Right, let me get the line. No, line. Meow. Give me that damn line. I always meow. have this trouble with the line. Lines do not meow. They do when they're small. Good point. Sit, stay. Good kitty. I'm subject to which I did ring my owl cat rescue, but they haven't rung me back yet. Tired of your everyday commute? Wish you knew what movies to watch? We offer you Flash Pulp! Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evenings with goodies every Sunday with Three Day Fish, who is always listening. Hi folks, once again I've decided to put the news and feedback segment before the main part of the show. It just feels right. If you prefer it after the commentary, then let me know. No problem putting it after, that's what you want. First off, Alan is back from his vacation and currently either sleeping or watching all the shows on his DVR, apart from the first episode of the new Doctor Who season, which he actually paid to watch while in the States. You see where his true allegiance lies. Once the lad is up and running, we'll no doubt address the long-standing iTunes issues, Although I have to say once again how happy I am with the current numbers given the hoops we've made our listeners jump through these past weeks, coming up to months. Continuum, the Showcase Canadian Sci-Fi series, gets its UK premiere on Sci-Fi on the 27th of September. The reason this is news is that the show is jam-packed with the actors who had starring, recurring and guest roles in the Stargate franchise, plus it's a mighty fine piece of television. It's also been picked up by the US Sci-Fi channel, so lots more exposure for the show, and it's already been picked up for a second season. Saving Hope, which stars Michael Shanks, Erica Durance and Daniel Gillis, has also been picked up for a second season, despite being sidelined by its US broadcaster. The TV world doesn't centre around America anymore, which I think we should all be thankful for. Our Stargate SG-1 Season 7 Favourite Episode poll is ticking along nicely. We've had votes from the UK, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Argentina, Russia, Holland, Germany, Romania and the Czech Republic. We're not quite up to the numbers from previous years, but hey, I ain't complaining given the feed issues, but we are still going to push it for a few more votes before we record the wrap-up show. Speaking of which, we traditionally have a guess or two, so if anyone is interested, let us know, and we'll see if we can work something out. In our little feedback segment, once again, many thanks for those we chat to via Twitter, which, while less substantial than Facebook or the website, leads towards a lot of fun and frivolity in terms of Stargate and associated subjects. 
and a joy to mix with our followers across the globe who come and go as the world turns. First up, the second part of the voicemail from Dan on Heroes Part 2. I really don't think we need worry about spoilers before we cover the episode proper, but if there is, then skip the next two and a half minutes. Hello Alan, Mike, Gatecast crew, fans of Stargate, and Gatecast listeners around the world. On to Part 2. Pretty much just wow. The special effects during the battle on P3X666 I found to be just stunning. Uh, point of view shots from Jack's gun, at least I'm pretty sure it was Jack's gun, as, you know, the Jaffa fell. I first saw this episode only about six months ago during the SG rewatch that GateWorld is doing, so I hadn't, I hadn't seen it prior to that. So I knew that Colonel O'Neill had survived the staff blast from seeing later SG-1 episodes. So in the powerful moments when Sam comes through the gate, obviously upset and crying, I was not expecting what was to come later at all. So many powerful emotional moments here. Even Bregman's uh, I want to know speech, that little speech he's yelling at uh, the airman for turning the camera off, uh, that was even good. At this point, I was just, you know, pretty much glued to the screen. And then we get Woolsey coming in there and, you know, more or less chewing everybody out. I understand, you know, that some aspects of the military require oversight, but I still kind of more or less wanted to reach into the TV and smack him. Woolsey was not my favorite character, for obvious reasons. And then we learn of Dr. Fraser's death, and uh, I was saddened, very, very deeply saddened. So many emotions here. Sam is at her, uh, Dr. Fraser's, you know, uh, memorial ceremony. Um, Sam reads Teal's kind words about Janet, and uh, I can't really, can't help it, but uh, you end up shedding a tear there just a little bit. She's been such an integral part of the SGC up to this point. Senior Airman Wells naming his daughter Janet was just awesome. Again, I begin to tear up at that, too. As I said before, such an emotional episode. What a way to make us feel so connected to these characters that, that mean so much to us. I have to say bravo to Robert C. Cooper and uh, all involved with this spectacular thing uh, that is SG-1 Heroes. Well, guys, I've really appreciated the opportunity to comment on these two episodes, and uh, I want to thank you very much for the podcast and your hard work with it and your great commentary. Take good care, guys. Thank you very much, Dan, for taking the time and effort to send us that voicemail in for parts one and two of Heroes. I look forward to hearing from you for other episodes. Uh, Maybe not every one, of course, but if you have any preferences, don't hesitate. Same goes for everybody else. Voicemail is a wonderful way to get your ideas and opinions across. On Facebook, we got some chat about Heroes Part 1, although strangely enough, not in the episode post, but the screencap post. Miles McLaughlin started the thread. This was a really good two-parter. Because it's Stargate, it had the humour, but this one had a lot of depth. I sympathise with the military, but I could also sympathise with Sol Rubinek's character also. I replied... Yep, they wrote it well, with Emmett as very abrasive, but as the story evolved he was allowed to develop, and from the commentary with a lot of input from Saul himself. Thomas posted, a very deep and touching episode, if you take it as one whole episode, parts one and two, possibly the strongest in the series. I replied, we did record back to back, but decided to release it as a two-parter, and by we I mean Helen and Alan, I joined in for part two. Helen posted, I might sign myself up for a few more gatecasts if you let me. I wasn't so good at the whole putting of words together thingy. 
though probably because I was crocheting. Crocheting? Crocheting? Crocheting. 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 Oh well. Now I think about it, as well as having to go into work later. Thomas posted, You guys probably mentioned it, but where was Mike in this episode? I liked what I heard, but Alan kept telling Helen to vamp like Mike does sometimes. Made me think, where is Mike? Uh, Helen had a limited time frame. She had to go to work, and we wanted to record parts 1 and 2 back to back, which meant starting at around 4pm. And I don't get back from work and ready to record until about 5pm. On the upside, it forced Alan into watching the episode beforehand. Thomas replied, yeah, he did have to do research, and he even listened to the commentary. Maybe he will continue to do this. Alan chimed in, no, no he won't. He will try and sleep now. He is up at 3.30am, it being almost 10pm now. Thomas finished, laugh out loud, you can sleep when you're dead, don't you know? That's the news and feedback for this week. If you want to get in touch, then our email is gatecastpodcast at gmail.com. Our website is gatecast.co.uk. Facebook and Google Plus search for The Gatecast. And our Twitter is The Gatecast, which is one word. Thanks for listening, and now back to Heroes Part 2, with our guest co-host, Helen. Is everyone's line jilly cocked? Yes. Yes. <sighs> Youth of today. No control. <laughs> All right. Ever a tree, ever a doe, ever a hen. Flicky. Fade out, fade in on... Previously, on Stargate SG-1. Teal voice-overing previously. No one around here wants to be part of your little reality show. You know this. <laughs> Commentate on it. You haven't commentated on it before, God. Yeah, all right then. Um, but I've already seen it. I've, I've seen it twice already over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Saul Rubinette, already been mentioned in uh, episode one. Also, Colonel Tom Rundell, played by Mitchell Kosterman, Canadian actor. I hope shots of my ass serve you well. Well, I'll be damned. We did point out in part one that the uh, representative of the Ginger Nation is playing the Daniel role. He did it rather well. Yeah, (laughs) very very typically Daniel. And that looked really painful. I mean, for the stun person. (laughs) Taking fire! Are you flirting with me? Well... I also asked at this point if Sam's course had been passed the salt. There was certainly a hint of interest between the pair of them, wasn't there? Mm. Ergo, if Sol is now Sam. <laughs> Took me too long to figure out the probe sent to transmission. None of that matters now. And now, the conclusion. Dramatically sort of gravelly teal there, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, he, he knows what's coming. <laughs> yes. What's going on? I thought you guys were scheduled to get shots of the gate. We got bumped again. Something's up. What do you mean? Something big. What happened? Just missed SG-1 head toward the gate room full gear. Well, you got it on tape? No. It's not unauthorized. It's an ongoing activity. Ongoing activity, I know. But SG-1? Yes. Dr. Jackson said he wasn't due to go off-world for a couple of days. What's changed? Mm. I don't know. Oh, dear. Yeah, Emmett keeps running into uh, brick walls when trying to get his coverage. As you'd expect, the uh, two Air Force personnel are going to follow orders, not a civilian's orders. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he uh, resemble one of the Deloises? Uh, well, it's a bit short for a Deloise. I just... Oh. Anyway, now Mike can impress us by how much better his episode research is than mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, Heroes Part 2, Season 7, Episode 18, Gatecast Episode 149. As with the first part, this is written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Andy Mikita. First aired in the UK, February the 10th, 2004. Uh, the US screened it February the 20th. The Australian September the 30th, 
The poor Canadians had to wait till January the 6th, 2005. Aww. You almost feel sorry for them. Helen point at the end of the last episode, she were 12 when it came out. Ouch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she also wants to go down Mike and behind Michael Shanks and pop his muscles. She thinks they're inflated. <laughs> the series had the same episode title. CSI New York, Las Vegas, Jag, MASH, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, even Beavis and Butthead. And I pointed out in the last episode, Hogan's Heroes and the genre show Heroes. Yeah, that'd work. Which is as much as I could come up with. <laughs> yeah, there are days when you feel the pressure. I'm trained to handle it. With all due respect, Major, how can anyone be trained to handle an alien encounter where the stakes are, if what I'm told is correct, the stakes could be the survival of the planet. That does actually look like a classic sort of studio interview setup. Mm-hmm. The way it's lit and everything. Just the way that they're cutting it. Is this the first time we've seen Emmett in a suit and tie? Yeah. You've got to be impressed with all the blinky lights, though, aren't you? Helen was. That's what I was talking about. She wouldn't show up at the blinky lights, and I said, have you seen Airplane 2? <laughs> we not here for part one. Silly job. <laughs> I don't think that that's, that's for me. To, um, are you suggesting that we shouldn't be doing this? No, I'm not saying we shouldn't defend ourselves. I'm simply asking your opinion, Major. Oh, he's not happy. I, I don't yeah. think that that's How can he be not happy? Sam's on screen. Sam was in his presence. Unfortunately, I think it would be much better if he shot Sam in a dress. You see, this is um, not her fault. I mean, I backed her into a corner, and I do not want to make this whole thing look like it's antagonistic. So, okay, so lose this. How about just pop this? Go for it. What was I saying? <laughs> Sorry. Easily distracted, aren't you? Yeah, well, uh, she put an image in my head, evil woman. <laughs> as I pointed out when you were being cheeky to me last night, Helen, you keep that up, you're young enough for me to refer to it as lip. <laughs> I hope they can appreciate everything we've been through, what it all means for our continuing existence. In light of that, I hope that they will understand why the people in charge chose to keep it a secret as long as they have. Is it difficult to keep the secret? Yeah, of all the things I do around here, in many ways, that is the hardest. Ah, yes, I'm going on about what's the hardest. <laughs> you know what, I'm not swearing, Mike. I didn't swear once in the last episode. Good lad. Doing very well. You might earn a cookie. What? Mm-hmm. It makes you realise when you're watching Emmett cut all this up, the interviews you do see on television, how manipulated are they? Questions and the answers, they don't always match up. One of the special features on the Doctor Strangelove DVD is Peter Sellers doing an interview with the American president accent. Yeah. It's shot on one side, and he's speaking into a telephone, and what happens is the right-hand side of the screen is blank, and the journalist gets sent a list of questions, and he answers them with suitable pauses, and they ask the question. They record the journalist asking the questions on the other side, and they cut it together. Yep. And the journalist never actually speaks with the actor, but he was saying things like, oh, no, this is my natural accent. This is the way I talk. Do you think that this should get out? If it were up to you. Well, they cut together. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a complicated issue. No, I'm asking you, Dr. Jackson, do you think that people on Earth should know about this right now? What do you think would happen? I think that people don't care much about what I think. All right, cut that line. Nobody cares that nobody cares what I think. Credit to the actor who's playing the airman. I'm not sure which is which. It could be a Bias Slezak or a Christopher Redman. They actually learnt the editing board. He actually ran the editing board. He messed about with it enough to understand what needed pressing and to make <laughs> it look realistic. It's useful when you actually have editors on the lot to actually uh, demonstrate what's what. 
as opposed to the traditional I'm typing on a keyboard mash 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 mash. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, I can watch Major Carter's we need talk all day. Pictures, we need images to tell this story. What these people are doing here, good or bad, makes the lunar landing like we were testing our toes in the ocean. And what have we got to show for it? Yak, yak, yak. Nothing. Where's the equivalent shot of Shepard playing golf on the moon? Oh Unbelievably boring. All right, yeah. Which is why we got to that. Yes. This is actually phenomenal television. It's a first <laughs> Andy Ball, but he can't really count that well. You know, he's best at growling and shooting things. Yeah, that bit looks a bit weak, but that shot looks fantastic. Oh, CG. This is being shot on a piece of land between the Canadian and US border. Yep, the copy said that, remember that. I think I mentioned it at the time, yeah. Did I mention that, Helen? Do you recall me mentioning hmm? that? Mentioning what? The Canadian-US border thing. I remember I write down thinking I should say that. No, I don't think you did. I did mention all the stuff about second unit shooting and the fact that Birthright was being shot and so on and so forth. Yeah. We're not going to be able to hold this position for that long. Yeah. Part of that rocket really took a dip at the end, didn't it? Yeah. I see you. I'm flying oh. without wings. Oh, yay! Yeah. So Jack's been shot, so why don't I stand up and expose myself? Look at that, that is absolutely gorgeous. Are you talking about Richard Dean Anderson or the explosion? Uh. <laughs> we'll leave that for the listeners to judge. <laughs> oh, dear. The shadow that passed over... Jack in that shot was actually a CGI shadow. I want to present a larger target so I can be shot too. That's 50 caliber, right? You get really shaken up if you don't know what you're doing. And uh, no, actually, our guys are trained to handle that kind of torque. I'm just kidding. So, what, what is this? Get a shot of this. What, what is, uh, can you explain how this operates? Uh, sure. Um, our guys uh, like to play little space invaders when there's not much going on. Haha, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> The really funny bit about this is that when the Air Force heard about this scene, they actually sent a note to the studio complaining that no airmen would actually do this. Uh, uh, right over here is the uh, manual override for the Iris. Are you kidding now? Is that no, a joke? No, I'm serious. Right. How does this, uh... Incoming wormhole! What does that mean? We're going to have to leave now. No, 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 no. keep shooting. I can do that. I can do it. Remove that camera crew! Now! You don't really want to say that when there's all men about, do you, really? <laughs> no. We are under fire now. Considering the reason they've given for this documentary is to actually document the workings of the Stargate Command yeah. for posterity, why not shoot that source? Haven't they noticed the light's still on? Of course not, no. The light was added in post, wasn't it, Alan? Um, they didn't mention that in part one. Did they? And they must mention it in part two, then. <laughs> I didn't listen to part two. It was very weird for me, having seen the episode ten minutes before we started recording. Well, then, Mike, you might know this. Why is it called Cheyenne Mountain when it's in Colorado? I have no idea. Cheyenne's in Wyoming. Perhaps that might have been a reservation that the Cheyenne Indians were sent to by the US government many decades ago. All right, I'm going to leave it to you. Here she comes. Huh? Turn it on, let's go. Don't look at him. We're clear to shoot here. Just follow me. Oh, dear. Sam was upset. Yeah. Just a tab. No, I know that at least one person was injured back there. All I want to say... Look, trying... Leave me alone and shut that 
damn thing off. Now, just before Sol was shooting this scene, Robert C. Cooper actually says they had a row in his trailer about the uh, delivery. Actually believes it kind of fired him up for this scene. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing here. Maybe I know what I'm doing here. These people are risking their lives for us. I want to see what they're going through, even if they don't want us to. And I want other people to see it. What do you think they're doing out there? Protecting and defending? Secrecy? That's a world of, of Mao, the world of Stalin, the world of, of, of secret police, secret trials, secret, secret deaths. You force the press into the cold and all you will get is lies and innuendo and nothing, nothing is worse for a free society than a press that is, that is in, in service to the, to the military and the politicians. Nothing. You turn that camera off when I tell you to turn it off. It's quite. Oh, it's Tuesday. Newsrooms on tonight. Excellent. This rant reminded me of it. <laughs> well, part two does have quite a few very emotive speeches mm-hmm. and a very emotive ending. Yep. But everything he's just said. Sorry, I'm not meaning to take from his speech, but we're a fun-loving cast. Now he's probably someone famous, is he, or some of the crew? Not that I know of. Hey, how you doing? I don't suppose you know anything about what's going on here. There are multiple injuries. At least two people were here with staff. Well, how do you know? There was a firefight of some kind. Apparently, one of the teams got ambushed, so they sent an SG-1, SG-5, Fraser, and the medical team to extract. Surprising that these pair are actually volunteering the information. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave actually connected with them, mm. and they can see how he feels. Carter's a seasoned officer. She wouldn't be crying unless... I mean, we hear somebody actually may have died. What have you got? O'Neill. Oh, dear. Ooh. I think this is very manipulative. Like you say, they're manipulating it nicely because anybody that's been watching... Oh, yeah, because when I watched this, I was like, well, it's been going for... We're near the end of season eight. Well, not only that, but RDA has spent so much time off the set this season. Mr. Hammond, Mr. Wolsey. General. Robert. He's him. Yes. I like him. He doesn't really need an introduction, does he? Anyone who's seen any science fiction at all in the past ten years knows who he bloody is. Mm-hmm. Well, how about this, Annie? He made seven guest appearances on SG-1, 26 on SGA, and a single episode of Stargate Universe. Wow. And 170 episodes of Voyager. Was he in all of them? Must be pretty close. I'll throw uh, a couple of films into the mix. Morlocks and Megashark vs. Crocosaurus. Oh, God, he wasn't in that, was he? <laughs> I don't have those channels, but I've... I've You've got to love those movies. I, I like Mike's patience for... Uh... Bad B-movie. I'm not sure there is such a thing as a good B-movie. I've enclosed a list of interviews I will be conducting and materials I will require. We expect your full cooperation. General. How are you holding on? She has recovered a little. I'm okay, sir. Did you talk to Agent Barrett? He said as far as he knows, Wolsey is clean. But he did say he's as sharp as they come. He's got an MBA and an LLB from Harvard. He was lead counsel for the Army Corps of Engineers for 10 years and later sat on the Defense Policy Board. How's an LLB? I imagine it's a real qualification. I'm going to check. You too, fam. <laughs> I say anybody that's working for the NID is automatically suspect. Mm-hmm. First professional in law, apparently. There you go. I might watch an episode of Suits tonight. <laughs> I enjoy suits, it's fun. 
to me, just as an aside, yes, digression, it doesn't really matter if it's genre TV or not. I like well-written television, irrespective of what it's about. If it's got decent dialogue and engaging characters, I don't really care where it's set. Well, at the moment, SG-1 has got both in spades, hasn't it? Characters, mm-hmm. dialogue, story, everything. I think in the commentary that says that in part two, when it was kind of a mutual backslapping session, they called it, mm-hmm. pointed out this is probably the best Stargate Robert C. Cooper ever wrote. They did, actually. I checked the Stargate wiki, and it said that at San Diego Comic-Con, the cast agreed this two-parter is one of the best episodes. Well, considering it's Genesis, you know, originally a single episode that they ended up shooting 64 minutes for. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I thankfully deciding to... Yes, Alan, I assume you'd <laughs> have said half of what I've said. Sorry. You get closer to some people. You never want to lose anyone. Of course, this is the argument in military and any branch. How much do you value a single man? And we know Jack's opinion, but I imagine in uh, real combat situations, it's decisions that have to be made. Sometimes people are left behind. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you're the one that's left behind, you, th- you think, I don't care how much it costs, <laughs> come and get me. I believe classified military operations require oversight. This isn't the first time we've been scrutinized by the NID. I know the stakes around here are always high, but there were serious casualties in this instance. Someone of great value to this program is dead. I know that. And don't you dare think anyone is taking it lightly. Are we allowed to boo him when he talks? Um, I like him. Even as a bad guy, I like him. He's the kind of bad guy that I'd like to be enemies with. Was this his first appearance in the franchise? Yes. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that it wasn't avoidable in this case. Despite what you might think, the only reason I'm here is to get the truth. Interesting little fact. Despite all the battle sequence, which took up, I think they said, 90% of the budget, this was still a very cheap show to shoot, because it is all talking heads. Hmm. Apart from that phenomenal action sequence. Which is why I said apart from the battle sequence, which took up 90% of the budget. They also addressed the complaints that even in uh, the script room, when they were first brought up, the writers, some of the writers themselves were a little shocked. <laughs> because it'd been gone that long, they had to kill someone? Well, no, you don't kill characters like that. Did Terrell ask to leave? No. The Robert C. Cooper decided he, somebody had to die. I said that was the response. And she, she's been in enough episodes to a well-loved character, both within the show and by the fans. She's got a good position in the story as a whole. And if you're going to kill somebody, you've got to kill somebody important to make it worthwhile. You can't bring a character on. You couldn't kill off Adam Baldwin in this episode and get the same emotional reaction. The fact is that this mission was botched from the beginning to the end. We don't just leave people behind. You can't ask airmen, soldiers, human beings to risk their lives without backup, without knowing that we would be there for them. You yourself have been asked to go into combat where you knew there was no backup. That is always a possibility on any mission through the Stargate, is it not? And please, Major... None of us likes to admit it, but we all know that there are military situations in which the life of one human being has to be considered an acceptable loss. That wasn't the case here. No, in this case, it was just dumb luck that there weren't many more lives lost. I would say it was skill, training, and fortitude. Based on your expertise in ghoul tactics, was it not reasonable to conclude that this was an ambush? While you are not an official member of our military and not eligible for court-martial, I shouldn't have to remind you that you are expected to follow the orders of your superiors. 
as I was doing on the day in question. If you fail to testify here today, I will have you jailed until such time that you do. You fire me, you throw me in jail, you do what you want. Oh, nice, my poor Daniel, I should say. Screw you. I've been killed and it's ended. I don't need your petty bureaucratic crap. <laughs> what are you going to do? Fire me, put me in jail, I'll just ascend again. Darby, Darby, Darby. I wonder what they're actually trying to type when they're faking it. Like, you know how if you're in the back of a crowd you're supposed to keep saying rhubarb? Well, they were an extra in an anti-drink driving campaign thing. We were told to move lips and gesture around but not actually say anything. In case our dialogue was picked up by the mics. Yeah, don't say things like the director doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Did you... Or action sequence stuff. Yep. This was shot a couple of months after the initial coverage. Mm. They had to cover the ground with leaves to duplicate the scene. Mm. <laughs> Little smoke machines in the background. I hate smoke machines. They play up too much at work. I'm so bad. I can't move. I can't feel my legs. I think it went right through me. What's your name? I'm Senior Herman Wells. Simon Wells. I'm going to die. And if I have anything to do with it. Okay, we need to roll him over and stop the bleeding. Okay. Simon, you hang in there? Okay. Uh, you see? All right, on three. One, two, three. Simon Wells is played by Julius Chappelle. He's been in Caprica, Eureka, the 4400, and Psych. As I said on the commentary, he had to sell this, otherwise, mm. you wouldn't believe anything in the episode. Mm hmm. And he did it over and over again, every take. My, my wife is pregnant. Yeah? That's your, uh, that's your first? <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, oh, oh. That's good. How much do you felt that? Colonel O'Neill, our position is being compromised. We're not going to be able to hold the game for long. Come on, Daniel, you're in a firefight. Wear a helmet, please. Why? You're going to staff blast weapon. All a helmet's going to do is identify the hole. <laughs> it might deflect it. Unlikely. It could pass by your shoulder, you know, just barely graze it. It is but a scratch. You can treat me for that, I don't mind. <laughs> this is either, the other end of the conversation, of course, that we uh, saw with Jack. Mm -hmm. You're going to be fine. Dr. Jackson, please, 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 just, just let me tell my wife. Let me tell my wife. That... Look, just don't say you were retiring in two days. Mm. <laughs> Rob on the commentary said it, you know, this is a bit cliched, but mm -hmm. he's pretty sure there have been men whose wives are pregnant, who are dying on the battlefield, who do want to say a last goodbye. So it's valid within the narrative. Mm -hmm. I said now's not a good time. What part about that didn't you understand? Touchy. Yeah. In fact, why leave it out like that? It distracted. It's put it away. Hit him, Daniel. Get out. Take the fracking hint. Get out. Okay. I'm going. All right. Questions raised by both the actors and how close Emmett approaches Daniel. The argument was, is, was it an aggressive pose or one of intimacy? And you listen to this speech, you realise it's, it's all intimacy. I actually looked this up as if it was a true story. It wasn't, but you imagine that there are plenty of actual stories that come very, very close. The day before he was scheduled to leave, the day before, he's out with the unit, and it was just a routine patrol, or so they thought. But suddenly, the lieutenant... Pulled him down. 
And Krzysztofski, he hadn't intended to take a picture at that moment, but his hands were on the camera and he hit the ground so hard that it just went off. And the picture captured the lieutenant getting shot in the head. And Krzysztofski said to me, he said, well, that, that bullet would have hit me, should have hit me. And he never showed that picture to anyone. Not for 25 years. But 25 years later, he got up one morning and he looked at that picture. And he saw something that wasn't horrific. And he decided to tell the story because he realized that he hadn't accidentally taken a picture of a man dying. It was of a man saving his life the picture i'm making that i'm trying to make is about what you people do every single day in extreme circumstances that no one can even imagine and i don't know what happened out there i'm sorry about what happened whatever it was and if you did tape something of it that's not going to change what happened what will change is how you feel about it. You look at some of the pictures that war correspondents have taken, especially during the Vietnam War, and they really are shocking, some of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. You understand the photographer's reaction, you know, it's something mm-hmm. brutal, something terrible, but then again, it, it is a symbol of self-sacrifice, which should be applauded. Mm-hmm. And perhaps families of dead men will accept it more if they know there was a reason for the deaths. And I think this is where we're going with the ultimate conclusion of this episode. Mm-hmm. How stupid would it have been if they'd just fallen down an elevator shaft or something like that? I seriously have never noticed there's goldfish before. I'm seven seasons in. You saw a lot of the fish during Jonas's time in this office. I was too busy looking at Jonas thinking, that's so much like my brother. Does he? Mm. right. Yeah, but bear in mind your brother's at Sandhurst. <laughs> a strapping young man, then. Mm-hmm. Bullied one of my staff members into giving him a chocolate for 50p instead of 60. That's British military training in the finest tradition. <laughs> the note actually said, he's a big bloke, I didn't want to argue. <laughs> <laughs> You know damn well I wasn't pegging the value of a person's life. It is a cold, hard fact that it costs millions of dollars to train these men and women. And that is a fraction of the funds being subverted by the Pentagon for this operation. The general's not really happy with having the woozy here, in which you can't blame him, especially when he drops a little bombshell. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it, that here's Woolsey saying secrecy, secrecy this, but when it comes to his own business and his own reports they are top secret never to be revealed he's actually upset that the commander of the SGC has seen the report and Rob was actually asked you know where'd you get your ideas from and he says well when he was writing this episode he was doing the budget for the show and trying to balance CGI budgets against live action sequences why not have a little toady doing the, the value of an SGC member especially when it costs what they say 17 million dollars just to open the gate why don't we just go down and give them the whole truth as you see it right now too much truth i'm taking my ball and going now <laughs> bye bye by the way what wax do you use on your head <laughs> well you got to admit Woolsey, he's well groomed mm-hmm. well waxed and hasn't bothered to go the full shave route I asked that my sister-in-law's brother given that he's at least as bald as Woolsey and apparently it upsets his mother if he shaves off what little hair he's got left. <laughs> I remember when you were a little baby, it was a traumatic time. <laughs> yeah, the general's had enough. <laughs> Goody. 
Everything's happy now. Everybody's happy. John! What is it, cut? Security caught Mr. Bregman trying to access the infirmary, sir. Now, he claims he was lost, but I've shown him all around this complex. Get rid of him. Sir? Have our orders changed, sir? Toss him out on his ass, Colonel. Hmm. Get out. Be gone, fiend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's this? What's going on? Mr. Bregman, sir, General Hammond has ordered you off the base. No, no, he can't do that. He is a general. You stop packing. Keep packing. You have one hour to get off my base and out of my sight forever. Whose authority? My superiors. You think I stepped over the line? I don't. I just want to make a phone call. Call whoever you want on your way out. There's a payphone at the surface. Actually, I'd like to borrow your red one. You have some nerve, Mr. Bregman. You're not going to borrow his red one. What are you going to do? Try to call his granddaughters. We all know what's on speed dial one. It ain't the president. I don't think there's any buttons on it. You just lift it up. Temper. Why's Walter in there? He's taking a memo. Walter's a PA as well as a gate technician. He's the yeoman, minus short red dress. <laughs> That's more or less where I was going. Helen, you've been very quiet. I know. I like being quiet. Not much point in guest hosting if you're not going to say you. It sort of defeats the purpose. I come up with the occasional quip. But I'm not going to do that. You know, I had that little weasel of a man thrown out of here. But in light of the NID's latest investigation, I'm starting to think maybe there should be a record of what goes on here beyond the classified reports. And you trust Bregman to portray that? At the moment, I have no other choice. Sol actually wanted to film some scenes with him actually going and calling the president. Was that deliberate, the choice of the code for the planet? 666. Yes, you saw that then. Mm -hmm. Must be a reason for everything. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Hey. You'll cry. You'll burst into little <laughs> tears of dearness. Preliminary mission files been declassified. It's interesting that even at this point, the colonel doesn't know the full facts. It's that secret. <laughs> I love you so much. God, I just, I just want. <laughs> Look at that. Emmett is actually disappointed. And so in the commentary they said they wanted this to be brutal, fast, mm -hmm. literally out of the blue. Ooh, ouch. You don't really need that much dialogue, do you, really? No. Nope. Now he opens the report and actually mm. reads. I think he needed more than a medic. O'Neill's alive. So is Ehrman Wells. Dr. Frazier didn't make it. It's a double twist of the knife because she was about the only person that was actually nice to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, character was kind of nice to him. No, she was professional and she blushed a little. Oh, put some oil on those. Well, she has a boyfriend she can afford to be professional. We heard you were up and around. Yeah. Uh, still a little tender, but they said I could go home. Of course, no. Oh, Jack's all right. Why didn't you tell us this half an hour ago? 
they like the suspense. <laughs> I don't know, they'd be so when we start. I honestly cannot remember how much I bought into this when I first watched this episode when it was broadcast. I can. Well, when did you watch it? When it was broadcast. I thought you stopped about halfway through. Oh, you started about halfway through, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. About season three, I think. Are you speaking at the memorial? Sir, I just wanted to say... When you were lying there, I... She was going to jump on top of him. <laughs> I doubt he'd have been up for much. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> you know, this isn't the world according to Garp, you know. Yeah, just lie back, I'll do all the work. It doesn't matter, my ribs are shot. <laughs> it isn't going to work, no matter what you do. And he's right, it's also his hip. Touching moment, friends. Oh, bug. No sneaky grope, dear lord. I think anyone holding a man to tap him would grope in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, have a sniff of the air. She had a boyfriend who's still alive, contrary to entire season experience day. He looks so young, which I assume is deliberate. But, I mean, dear God, it looks like he hasn't started shaving yet, practically. Well, he probably is young. Fortunately, uh, I don't know his age when he shot this. He's a senior airman, so I imagine mid-twenties, perhaps. Yeah. Everything's okay. Yeah. I never asked you when she was due. A couple of weeks. They say I should be out of here by then. That's great. Yeah. This is like when Daniel appeared to Tilk in uh, The Changeling. He's been a psychiatrist more than a friend or a comrade. She's dead because of me. No, she's dead because Jafar shot her. She was doing her job. Same way you were doing yours when Jafar shot you. I can't make it feel right. It wasn't right. Nothing about it was right. But it also wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. Only he'd look worse if he's just been shot. Frazier was very good. It must have been. Because how much blood there was and it was straight in the back. What they haven't mentioned is both of his kidneys and half his liver is gone, so he'll be on dialysis for the rest of his life. <laughs> She's off again. Well, Janet was her friend. I mean, they knew each other socially outside work. Well, she's trying to write the uh, eulogy now, so that's kind of bringing it all back. That and the fact that... What's going to happen to Cassandra? Mm-hmm. Well, let's be honest. Cassandra's whole people were slaughtered by Nerti. She survived. <laughs> and now she's a teenager, so I think she'll be all right. Let's hope she wasn't in the heating her mother face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always Auntie Sam. Helen, you were, a te- you were a teenager recently. How long did things usually last? Um, I have no idea. I never went through it. Hmm. <laughs> you shouldn't be asking me about stereotypical stuff. I don't tend to follow it. I don't know what to say. Nothing seems good enough. I believe you should only speak from your heart. I like this bit. Tilk's mm. actually written something down, and this is what Sam actually uses. Uh. Yeah, you can't imagine this is the sort of thing that a Jaffa does, or a First Prime does when mm-hmm. he's fallen. Tilk's probably been around humans too long. Hmm. I make a lot of Jaffa cake jokes. <laughs> Jaffa cake jokes would not be appropriate now. We're at a solemn moment. Oh, God, he's practically invisible. I often compliment the show on its lighting, and of course, having Andy Wilson on the commentary, we talked about this scene a lot. Mm. They actually even made the comment that it's surprising how many uh, shows don't get the lighting right, which I totally agree with. 
Ah, yes, falling sky. Although I noticed the latency seemed to improve as the season went on. Maybe it wasn't falling sky's fault. Maybe it's the way FX were broadcasting it. Yeah. Over here. Oh, I didn't. I was told that you might be in here, Doctor Jackson. Shame you couldn't have helped her ascend. Mm-hmm. He's a bit too quick for that. Nah, that's it. Daniel. Daniel understood what uh, Emma was on about. Give this back to you. I'm not going to use it. Very solemn, quiet scene, really. Mm-hmm. Wait. I want you to. Something you might have known. There was an Irish... This is off episode... I'll, actually, I'll tell you after. You know, I died in this room. Ascended. Dr. Fraser did everything she could. And she went three days without sleep. Even in the end, she didn't want to let me go. There seems to be a lot of this episode left. Oh, there is. I owed her... a lot more than I ever gave back. I thought a lot about what you said about, uh, Kristofsky. I think this shows what Janet Fraser was all about. Me too. I want other people to know. Is that you, Alan, blowing on the mic? Probably Just stop breathing for five minutes with you. <laughs> You'll want to talk, Alan. I have my mic adjusted so air doesn't pass over. I could do that. Do you really want to hear the raw footage of you? <laughs> <laughs> After I fixed it. <laughs> I'd still always be nervous that somebody's going to dial in. <laughs> I know, I was thinking that. Yeah, whenever they have the podium in front there, can you unplug the gate, please? It doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, but they could close the iris. Then there's no course. Yeah, but Walter's probably standing to attention as well, tearing up. They actually had Peter DeLuise and uh, Martin Wood in the control room, and they were <laughs> going to be seen as the camera pans across. <laughs> but they were cut out. <laughs> Probably says something about what Andy Mikita thinks of him. <laughs> You're not being in this episode. This is my episode. <laughs> Second unit rules. <laughs> Janet Fraser was an extraordinary person. She was kind and funny and talented. Above all, she was courageous. Now here we're going to hear the speech that <laughs> Tilt came up with, or at least the idea. Very appropriate, really. Mm-hmm. Didn't really work. So is men that are alive today. Daniel Jackson died. He doesn't count. She lost her chance. <laughs> no, she saved his life a couple of times before he dies. Yeah. While words alone may not be enough, there are some names that might do. We often talk about those that give their lives in the service of their country. And while Janet Fraser did just that, that's not what her life was about. The following are the names of the men and women who did not die in service, but who are, in fact, alive today because of Janet. Major Samantha Carter. Dr. Daniel Jackson. Colonel Jack O'Neill. Tilk. Sergeant Connie Smith. Major Ian Hewells. Senior Airman Simon Wells. 
Our armed forces have turned the tide of world wars. Young men and women from our great country's four corners have humbled history's worst tyrants. We carve our thanks in stone. We stamp it into metals. We carefully tend to vast fields where the men and women who gave their lives for our freedom now lay. More than ever in our history, we cannot fail to pass these stories of courage to the next generation. Narrator of this piece is Jim Burns, who was in Highlander and Sanctuary. He was Sam's father in Sanctuary, or I should say Helen's father in Sanctuary. Uh-huh. Common as mug name, Helen. Yeah, but on the bright side, Amanda actually gets naked at a point in Sanctuary. Oh dear. You said you'd have more interest in Amanda tapping than you would in Michael Shanks. Right. You don't think it's all sentimental? And the general is pleased. <laughs> Emmett is surprised. Well, that's a relief. Hearing that from you, of all people. Yeah. Especially given how you felt about what I was doing. I mean, I understood how you felt, but still. I'm a big enough man to admit when I'm wrong. Glad you stuck with it. Uh, that means a lot to me, sir. I've written a lot of letters to the next of kin. Nothing ever seems like it's enough. They deserve more. This is something more. You wonder how easy his life could be if he'd came across a lot more considerate to start with instead of more confrontational. Because mm-hmm. this actually tells you, you know, how he looks at the military. He's very sympathetic. There is one thing, General, that's still missing that could make a difference. I'll take care of it. Now, this was a very emotional time for Donis Davis, who was in the military, and says himself he went through this a lot with his actual friends and comrades. Mm-hmm. Kind of hit home a bit. Mm-hmm. I do remember when Emmett said this, I assumed he wanted to go through the gate. Mm-hmm. But no. <laughs> What's more difficult? Getting Jack to talk. <laughs> nice little ah moment now. Oh. Daniel, this is my wife, Marcy. Hi. Hi. I'd love to give you a hug, but... Please. That's a cheap-looking teddy. It sort of reminds me of the bunny rabbit that Nicolas Cage's character carries around for most of the air. <laughs> yes. This is Katie Wright, who plays Marcy Wells. She's been in MacGyver a couple of times, 4400. What's her name? Janet. Aww. Yes, good job it wasn't a boy, really, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's nice. Would have actually made it Jane, you know? Would it, it would have been a nice circular... <laughs> Well, that's it. You, you think, who else could have wrote this script? And you think, well, Joss Whedon probably could have done. I like this. Them pair calling each other by the Christian names. They're all big one happy family now. Okay. Oh. I only took the death of Janet. OK, good. Tom. Yeah, right. You ready? Rolling. Sound? OK. First question. OK. Yes. Which famous TV actress do you like? You know, they wonder, would they actually include something of that nature for, a, even if it was audio only, for a special feature on a retroactive full universe? Because I know MGM, and they're going to release a full universe box set containing everything. The Blu-rays and DVDs of Atlantis are dirt cheap. Stargate SG-1 DVD box set's pretty cheap. About 100 quid, isn't it? Everything's relative. <laughs> it's very cheap now, yeah. It's pretty cheap considering the bill I'm getting for the dealership for my car today, so put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I only know on my behalf, Amazon Wishlist. Yeah, they're not even released an SGU Season 2 Blu-ray, and that is highly unlikely to happen now. Well, I once asked a girl I was interested in lying if she had another half, and her response was, nope, I was born intact. 
<laughs> Bless her. <laughs> Don't want to Australia. That was Heroes Part 2. Thank you for joining us, everybody, for Heroes 1 and 2. Next week, I'll book her. I don't have the transcript page up. Preparation, Alan, preparation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Half a job, Alan. Half a job. Oh, dear. I'll get to oh. go and test game scenarios and then control a group of adults who are all nutcases. Oh, the Discord fans? <laughs> no, worse. <laughs> I've had Discord people play at Battlestorm before, and it's actually not that bad. What's the difference between Battlestorm and Quasar? Battlestorm uses replica weapons. So we use replica P90s and MP7s fitted with lasers. And it's British Army flak jackets, which have got three sensors on them. And we do military-style missions. So we do things like attack and defend and last man standing and such. Capture the flag? Yes. I used to play that in Quake. Right, Resurrection. Character Daniel and Teok meet Agent Barrett in Los Angeles at the scene of a massacre. The site is a secret lab of a rogue NID cell, and the scientists there have successfully created a human-gold hybrid in the form of a young woman. The team's decided to help the woman must be traded against the need to disarm a gold bomb that threatens all of Orange County. Orange County? I could miss it. The people that live there, probably. Yeah, I put on the bright side, we wouldn't have to watch any more episodes of that bike show. Yeah. Discovery Channel, the guy with the handlebar moustache and the uh, arms that make Ron Perlman look like an eight-pound weakling. No, I don't know which one you're in. It's one of these, you know, supposed documentaries about... Uh, they make custom bikes. Oh, uh, American Chopper? Yes, I don't watch it. I know of it. It is in Orange County. Ah, right. Me and Dan used to. It was always yeah. more fun with Dan watching home improvement shows. Given that he's a plumber with 40 years experience, he could just sort of go, wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong. Wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, strangely enough, I cannot remember anything about Resurrection. Neither can I. Join us next week, the episode Amanda Tapping Director. Thank you for joining in. Nice to meet you, Mike. Yep, same here. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Gatecast, hosted by Alan and Mike. Join us at gatecast.co.uk. Stargate forever. Stargate forever.